Whether you're starting out, settling into, or scaling up your freelance business, navigating the ever-changing marketplace can be challenging. That's why the Freelance Heroes portal is the best place for you. On top of the essential practical support and resources available, the Freelance Heroes community provides moral support too, to help you go it alone without feeling alone. We like to think of the community as virtual business sidekicks, always there when you need them. For greater presence and support to help your freelance business grow, join Freelance Heroes. And right now, you can also try out our gold membership for one month for free. Sign up today at freelance-heroes.com. Hello, Ed here, and welcome to this week's Freelance Heroes podcast. How are you? How are you really? Uh, I generally do want to know um, how you're finding this year um, and the continuation of last year and how it's working out for you at the moment So, and how the rest of the year is looking. So let me know, podcast at freelance-heroes.com. Uh, or, of course, you can use the hashtag Freelance Heroes across social media too to start the conversation and to chat with others who listen to this podcast too. So... I have a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. Um, I find it's not the most user-friendly. Um, I find that the conversations aren't as prevalent on LinkedIn as they are on other channels, such as Twitter, for example, which I do prefer. But yes, I know how important LinkedIn is as a networking platform for freelancers. It's arguably imperative for most, if not all. But why? What makes LinkedIn such a great platform for freelancers? What should freelancers be doing to connect with their potential, albeit sometime further down the line, next client? What can freelancers do to learn from each other using LinkedIn? What makes a good LinkedIn profile? What makes good LinkedIn content? And are there any tricks or tips that can help improve the experience of LinkedIn as well? All these questions and more are answered by this week's guest, who is a LinkedIn nerd uh, by his own admission, uh, as well as the author of Content DNA, is John Esperian. And if you follow him on LinkedIn, you'll know he's got a lot to say on the subject and a lot to learn too. So pen and paper at the ready or keyboard and enjoy this week's episode, which is about getting the most out of LinkedIn for your freelance business. I'm delighted to finally meet someone who I feel like I know quite well already, although I feel like I'm saying that's for a lot of guests I've met on social media. But John Asperian, good morning to you. Good man. Thanks for having me, Ed. Great to meet you too. It's, um, yeah, I've seen your name out and about on social media for the longest time, so it's, it's great to be finally <laughs> on the podcast. So thank you for having me. For the right reasons, I, I, I hope. Um, so we're talking about uh, LinkedIn today, uh, which I feel is a bit of a a bit of a cheat really because it's only one part of what is a a thoroughly useful and informative and inspiring content dna book that you released last year so i guess that means we'll just have to have you back at some point okay that's fine suits me down to the ground thank you very much yeah it's um i mean um you know i've, I've kind of specialized on linkedin in the last four years so that that's a lot of people have found me through LinkedIn, so it makes sense to make a lot of my content about that. Um, that's that's where I'm becoming known is helping people 
to do better on LinkedIn. So, yeah, you know, interviews like this are fantastic because if we can provide something of value to your audience to help them do a little bit better there, I think that's uh, that's going to be good. Well, of that, I have no doubt, certainly. Um, so for anyone who um, rather surprisingly hasn't come across you before, do introduce yourself, please. Sure. Well, I'm a technical copywriter. I used to be a software and hardware tester. I used to be a quality assurance manager. So I used to listen to training calls where call center agents would say terrible things to customers. And I would have to go and say, why did you say that? Why didn't you say this? And I'd have to explain how stuff worked. How does this modem work? How does that software install? Uh, and so when I got made redundant, I, um, I, I set up independently to be a, a writer, you know, someone who could communicate complex ideas simply. Uh, and in the last few years, I've specialized in helping people create better profiles and content on LinkedIn. So I'm a, I'm a copywriter, but also I call myself an all round LinkedIn nerd as well. <laughs> Which you do. You do very much. And, and, you know, your writing style, forgive me for saying this and forgive me for any other um, kind of technical writers as well, is 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 rent is read. I don't know, not necessarily from the technical perspective. It's 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 a very I feel like. I feel like you're in the room telling me it, uh, telling me the words as opposed to me reading them, which is meant as a compliment. And uh, it's it's quite, yeah, it's quite an engaging style. Is that something that you've always had or as you went into the copywriting side, you you felt you needed to adapt more before the book was published? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good question, actually, because between about 2014 and 2016, I was blogging, but I was trying to be very kind of, stiff and formal and professional because that's what other technical writers were doing but actually when I kind of got over myself and had enough experience at, at the the art of blogging I just relaxed and and I say to people you know if you're if you're not a suit and tie person don't be a suit and tie person in your content if you're a jeans and t-shirt person be that person in your content so that the, the whole thing about technical writing is it's taking complex stuff and making it relatable to whoever needs to use that stuff so you need to be a little bit more informal. You need to be a bit more relaxed and and tell it the way you would if you were explaining it in person to someone. You know, if you if you want to show someone how to use a social media platform, you're not going to use complex jargon and, and, and you know, talk about deep algorithmic stuff. You're just going to say it works like this. If you do this, this happens. You make it relatable. So I've, I've tried to keep my style quite simple informal friendly i put stupid cartoons in my content which you know is a differentiator most most other technical writers probably wouldn't take that approach but it's got me results so when, so the key insight here is just be you in your content get over yourself don't be too formal and say it like you would if you were in the room with someone and if you can do that your content will start to become a bit more relatable and hopefully a bit more memorable I haven't really started off with the LinkedIn questions already and already you're adding pearls of wisdom to this call. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, so uh, why LinkedIn? What, you, you know, your yourself confessed LinkedIn nerd. What was it about the platform that, that attracted you to it? I think, well, first of all, it was just marrying up the fact that I work mostly in B2B and that's where B2B clients tend to hang out. Um, but also because it's a smaller social network than than the other platforms. I mean, if you compare it with Facebook, which might have, let's say, two and a half billion users, you know, LinkedIn currently has they, they 
released new stats last night it's 740 million which is still a lot of people but it's 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 a drop in the ocean isn't it compared with some of the other platforms so it's a great way to get some organic visibility for your content so i'm trying to serve b2b clients i create content and it's a good place for organic visibility of content it's a no-brainer for me to start creating helpful content on that platform and and the the other key insight that i think a lot of people miss is that linkedin is different from all of the other social platforms in one key respect, which is all the other social platforms are essentially free, uh, but you need to monetize if, if you if you actually want to get your content seen uh, beyond your small uh, uh, inner circle that avidly follows everything you do. But LinkedIn is different. Their, their revenue comes mostly from big corporates buying a thousand premium subscriptions or Sales Navigator or LinkedIn Recruiter and all these things that cost loads of money. So their income comes from that. They don't really monetize organic content in the same way. And now they might do in a few years time, but right now they don't really. And so it's a fantastic opportunity for someone who creates content to be seen without paying, which you can't really do on Facebook. Uh, and so I think because of that, LinkedIn is really super powerful for, for getting a business message out. It's the best business networking platform uh, ever created. Now, <clears throat> nothing's perfect, of course. So let's get the negativities out of the way. What is it about LinkedIn that frustrates you? Ah, well, user interface could do a lot with a lot of work. They seem to kind of wait for Instagram and Facebook to do something and then maybe six to nine months later, they'll copy it. So that that's, that feels a bit frustrating. Um, but I, I suppose the the biggest thing is is people's lack of understanding that taking a bit more of a human content first, conversation first approach is actually the best way. And so they just hop in your DMs. They send you they send you an invite that 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 wants to sell to you straight away. They send you a DM that wants to sell to you. Their, their content is all me 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 or salesy it doesn't doesn't have any relevance to the reader really um and and so that kind of thing does does certainly put me off but my way of dealing with that is that i use uh, there's a screen on linkedin which lets you see all of the people that you're following and whenever you connect with someone you automatically become a follower of that that person uh, but i use the following screen to see a grid of all of those people. And I can just do one click unfollows for people who are not adding, that they're, they're either not educating me, they're not entertaining me, or they're not inspiring me. So if people don't hit those categories, I'm gonna unfollow them, which means I clean up my feed, which means that LinkedIn becomes a more valuable place for me to invest my time. I just drown out the noise. <laughs> Quite a cathartic experience as well, I imagine, uh, going through a mass unfollow moment. Actually, it's um, it, it because it's one of the frustrating elements for me personally. And we've got some questions from the freelance heroes, which I want to ask you too. It's the conversational element. LinkedIn is arguably, and this is the frustrating thing for me, it's arguably my most successful social network. Um, I've met some of my biggest clients through LinkedIn, um, some phenomenal people like you through LinkedIn. Um, I got I got a book deal as a result of a publisher contacting me through LinkedIn, right. and yet I don't enjoy it half as much as I enjoy Twitter, which hasn't achieved quite the same level of um, some elements of it. I've met uh, some you know my best client through there, and uh, but it's um, but it's not the same, and I find that that's because Twitter is more conversational, 
and LinkedIn isn't. And Twitter does harness a lot of the troll-like um, accounts you can get in there. But LinkedIn harnesses a lot of the, as you've mentioned, the self-promotional me, me, me type people in there too. So why? I, I can't get my head around why that is why that is the case. And I think now, you know, knowing that I can, knowing that I can unfollow so many is going to make it a far more richer experience for me. Yeah, I think, I think people probably maybe just put the brakes on if they're thinking about trolling on LinkedIn because it does happen, but it doesn't happen anywhere near as much because it is still a business platform. And if you're in an employed role and you're out and about slamming people, well, maybe maybe your boss is going to find out or maybe, you know, it, it could have business implications for you if you're seen doing that kind of thing. Whereas with LinkedIn, it, uh, with, with Twitter, it can be a little bit more anonymous. You know, you don't have to register with your real name and stuff like that. So I think people are maybe a little bit more mindful on LinkedIn about what they say. But about on the point about being conversational, I think LinkedIn actually is a fantastic platform for conversation. It's got all of the tools for it. And in fact, it's got better tools than, than Twitter does. So I, I do all of my business. I transact all of my business on LinkedIn through the direct messages. You know, my, my content is... I'm starting a campfire. I'm trying to get people around it to toast their marshmallows and, and chat to each other. But actually, where I get people to do business with me is I take that public conversation in the in the posts and the comments and, and try to move it into the direct messages where I get access to things like voice notes, uh, you know, personal video messages. I can share documents and stuff. I can start group chats. Um, it's a fantastically powerful tool for conversation. And, and these days, now that I've kind of got into the whole clubhouse thing as well, I'm, I'm using voice content a lot uh, to, to, to build better connections with my, with my followers and, 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 you know, with my new connections. And it's just a fantastic way of getting a more personal bit of communication into someone's head. And it's actually faster than typing out stuff on your phone anyway. So it 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 just hits all hits ticks all the boxes for me. Uh, I'm not getting sucked into a clubhouse conversation. That's for a, a <laughs> that's for another another uh, podcast. Um, but I I guess it's it's a it's a, it's frustrating for the elements you you mentioned, and maybe that then masks what is more valuable content for for many. But we're looking at this from a freelance perspective. And before I go to the questions. That have been asked one of the frustrating elements is so freelancers we are it's us you know we don't have um teams of people we have us we have the brand that we've created for ourselves but one of the advantages of working with a freelancer is you're dealing with the decision maker and the doer at the same time and the project manager and, and that's great so of course social network is a wonderful place to be able to showcase some of the personality it gets people to know, like, and trust us a bit more. Mm -hmm. But what's the barrier as far as LinkedIn's concerned? Because it does seem to frustrate people quite easily. And you do now and again get comments of this isn't Facebook, you know. Um, but, you know, what is the, the – and I think also that hampers people's confidence uh, to to put themselves out there a bit more and personality for fear of of getting that kind of retribution back, which you know can knock your confidence. As I say, yeah, yeah, I, I I can I can understand that. I mean, the whole thesis of content DNA is the is the idea of being the same shape everywhere, right? So for me, that means that if you've got a really stuffy formal presence on LinkedIn. 
and then you're dancing on tables in Instagram. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering, like, who who is the real person? Mm. You know, it's obviously a bit of this and a bit of that, right? But I'm still not getting a quick, clear, congruent view of who you are. So, so the the outcome of that is what I suggest is that you should try to maintain the same kind of presence wherever you show up. And I think it's actually better to go narrow and deep. So pick one platform and just cause chaos there than, than to go broad and shallow and try to be everywhere, you know? So, so I, I spend 90% of my social media time on LinkedIn, about the remaining 10% on Twitter. Um, and so I've only really got two main platforms where I need to show up in a congruence style but I, I will show up the same way. I'll use the same headshot photo. I'll share the same kind of content. Uh, and so, so maybe if you use Instagram, maybe your presence needs to be a little bit more polished there, a little bit more professional. And on LinkedIn, it needs to be a little bit less formal so that there's a kind of equalization going on. Because in the future, I, I think the social networks will really converge i'm not saying that they're going to be bought out you know there's going to be one that, that that dominates everything but they're all going to be just different platforms to say the same thing um and and they'll have the same features that like they'll all be able to do dms they'll all be able to do videos they'll all be able to do images video, text audio you can do whatever you want you've got the technical capability you just kind of choose which platform you like the look of and essentially there's this convergence that will happen and so you might as well just be the same person everywhere. And, and if people are saying to you, this is not Facebook, fine. They're probably never going to buy from you. And uh, <laughs> another point that I, I put in the book is that not everyone is going to like you. Um, uh, I heard a great quote from someone once, that, which is that, you know, unless you're selling the cure to cancer that tastes like chocolate, you're not going to be for everyone. Right. So you might as well just embrace that and just do the thing that you're going to do. And 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 take in, take on take on board the fact that some people are going to hate it, and that's actually fine because you don't need to serve everyone to to make a sustainable income. Um, so 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 just do what you're going to do, and if, if LinkedIn is your place, be yourself on LinkedIn, and that, and and that's perfectly fine. A wonderful analogy, I like it. Now you've referenced this a couple of times, and I've and I've only haven't really mentioned it apart from the very beginning. But in 2000, and was it published last year or was it 2019? It was. It came out in April 2020, so just after. What a time! What a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so um, I am talking about your book, Content DNA, using consistency and congruence to be the same shape everywhere. What made you write this book? Um, well, it, it came out of well a couple of things. I mean, mostly when I was doing copywriting consultations with clients, you know, they, they come to me thinking, okay, uh, we need a thousand words on this, and I would stop them and say, well, hang on. What are you trying to achieve? What is your brand's DNA? And it's something that they had never really considered or they thought that they'd considered it. And actually, they just had like a two page PDF on a on a on a file share somewhere that, that you know, they had a weekend away and we've done our branding. But but it's not something they're actually living by. And my whole thing is, if you're going to bother creating a brand, which I think you should do, because it's, it's business valuable to have one. You might as well stick to it. You might as well actually mean what you say. And so what do you stand for? And and, and that led to uh, me, me creating this, this kind of guide around defining a small number of brand characteristics 
uh, and doing some work to polish them and then making sure that that comes out in everything you do, which isn't just content. You know, the book is called Content DNA, but actually it's about everything that you do in your business. It's the way you treat your people, the way you treat your customers, the way you issue your invoices, the way you write emails, the way you leave voicemail messages for people. It's kind of everything should tell a consistent congruent story uh, and that that's what that was about and actually it all came from a bit of a chance moment when I was on stage Mark Schaefer marketing legend and he said you know how are you going to remain re relevant uh, you know he asked me a question yeah there he is <laughs> Martin Rebellion great book and um, and I, I wasn't prepared for the question I said well I'm going to create relentlessly helpful content and that that moment stuck with me and I kind of built my brand around that. So everywhere you see me, you'll see this phrase, relentlessly helpful. And in fact, the, the second book that I'm writing at the moment is called Relentless. And it's about how to be the most helpful person in your industry so that you can win more business. So I'm really dialing into that now. Um, but I thought, well, if I'm defining a clear brand, that came about through a moment of luck. Um, I kind of get it now and I don't want others to have to rely on that same luck. So why not just codify these ideas into a book? And, and the, finally, I, but at this point, I've been a writer, professional writer for 10 years. And I thought it's probably about time that I, I, I put, you know, my flag in the ground, and say, these are the things that I've learned over the last decade. Here's how to build a better brand, create better content. And so that's what I put into the book. So, and you mentioned Mark Schaefer. Um, actually, I think these two books, Content DNA and Marketing Rebellion, are uh, wonderful served together. Um, so, highly recommend um, reading both of those, and look forward to your to your new book as well, Relentless. Uh, it sounds exciting, and I think it's um, it's um, I, I, you you practice what you preach because you are very consistent across yeah. your different forms of communication. Um, of of you know where your strengths are and your style of communication as well. So uh, a lot can learn just by following you, let alone reading the book. Although obviously we'd advocate reading the book. Right. So let's get into to some of the questions, which I think are applicable across content as well as uh, social media, uh, LinkedIn as well. Obviously we're focusing on LinkedIn for this. Uh, what is the etiquette when offering your services to those who think might be interested without coming across like a well? to choose their words, a salesy top spot with a uh, spammy or spammy so-and-so. Yeah, I call them those people salesy dudes for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I always go for the, the, the long, slow burn approach, you know. So if I, if I, if I were advising someone who has, who've got some really high-value targets that they, they'd love to do business with them, the mistake a lot of people make is they just jump straight to trying to connect with them the other person doesn't know them from Adam. They hit ignore. Maybe they also hit I don't know John, uh, and, and and you're lost to them pretty much forever. Then so so they they try and rush it. It's much better to identify those targets, look for the content that they're creating, engage on that, follow those people, join the same groups they're in, see what kind of language they use, and then put all of that into the way that you're going to communicate with that person so that they can see some kind of affiliation um, and just talk to them in a non-salesy way. Try and find some common ground that you can talk on. Try to support their content. Try to put them first. Uh, and if you can do that, then over time, you'll become known to them. You'll be memorable to them and they'll know that you're not trying to sell them anything from day one. 
Now, that, that is a long, slow process. And for me, sometimes I'll be chatting to someone through LinkedIn for a year or more before they eventually want to. They say, actually, we need our website rewritten. Um, we've got a budget of 10,000 quid. Can you do it? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> in to them and said, well, you know, your website needs some work and I can I can do it for this. Do you, do you want to hire me? Who's going to say yes to that? it's much better to just build that long that long slow ramp of trust rather than trying to climb the mountain on day one because it's not going to work so so softly softly catchy monkey is what I mean. <laughs> talk talk to people more the more conversations you get into the, the more will ultimately close the business so it it might not and i mean talk in the book about the 30 month mindset which is this idea that it takes a long time to become known you know, it's the same, but this is the same with anything. You know, if you want to get six pack and, and you know, biceps of steel, you're not going to go to the gym for three days and then think it's going to happen. You might have to go there for months before it'll really happen. And it's the same kind of thing with building a business presence with content and, and conversations. It takes time. And, and, and I've got a clear example of that with my own LinkedIn presence. So people look at me on LinkedIn and say, oh, I'd love to get your kind of engagement. And I, and I reply with, bet you wouldn't want to get my kind of engagement in 2017 because no one was listening to me back then. And I was saying the same things back then as I'm saying now. It's just that I've been around. I, 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 I've been in the conversation for long enough that I can't be ignored now. Hmm. So if you want yeah. to get there, you start doing the same kind of things and let's have a chat in three years' time, uh, except that you're probably going to be too busy to chat to me in three years' time if you actually do this stuff. But it's it's the unsexy message that no one wants to hear. Everyone wants, you know, they want chocolate tomorrow, don't they? Mm, uh, yes. Or even today, or even better, yesterday, right? But actually, putting in the hard yards, like I did in 2017, when my LinkedIn was tumbleweed, to be honest. Um, but I knew I knew it would work because I'd seen lots of other people do, you know, a hundred posts before anyone even clicked the like button. So I knew that that committing to it and sticking to it would 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 work, and it has worked, and that, that's what I encourage all of your listeners to do. Is if you haven't started, and you are a content creator, LinkedIn is an amazing place to to get organic visibility without paying a penny. But you do need to start, otherwise you'll never be heard. And and bear in mind that only about one percent of people on LinkedIn are regular content creators. So even though it might look like there's a lot of noise. The truth is, most people do nothing on LinkedIn. They 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 are silent. They're lurkers, um, and so you've got an immediate chance to stand out by actually stepping forward and starting to do stuff. And what do you mean by regular content creators? Well, I mean posting something at least once a week. Let's say might would be a regular okay. content creator. And so when I advise new clients, I say start with one or two short form LinkedIn posts per week. If you can do that, you can build a habit and, and expand from there. If I said to someone, go and create seven posts a week, that's probably a bit too much of a jump from a standing start. But one or two a week would be a good way of just getting your eye in, understanding what works, what doesn't work, and you can slowly build from there. Uh, and like I say, that puts you into the 1% of, of people who actually create content. But uh, And sometimes it's even better to start with the, the what I call the contributor category in the book, which is the person who supports other people's content, the person who goes and likes and comments and shares on other people's stuff before maybe they build enough, 
platform confidence to go and do their own thing. But if you've got something interesting, relevant, authoritative, helpful, supportive to say on someone else's post, go and comment with substance and other people will see you doing that and they go, who said that? I'm going to go and follow them. I'm going to go and connect with them. And it's a good way of starting your marketing process if you're not quite confident enough to start putting your own stuff out. Um, there's a, a, a one, this also highlights your writing style too. I'm just a very, just this one sentence alone in your book when you're talking about generic LinkedIn invitations that says, um, sending generic LinkedIn invitations is the heading. That's like putting your business card in someone else's pocket and walking away. Come on, send a note. Um, I, I love that. Right behind me, by the way, for anyone who's watching this on YouTube, those legs belong to my seven-year-old. This, um, this homeschooling is going out the window during this, during this call. Um, but <laughs> put your legs down. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, anyone listening on the podcast would have just heard the words that hurt. That's uh, that's going to create a different conversation. Anyway, so this is um, th this is um, because often people will say, right, I want to work with that business. I want to work with that individual in the company. So I'm going to go and connect with them hmm. and I'm going to send a note. Now, we're clear it shouldn't be a self-promotional note because you wouldn't do that in a networking event in a physical location. So what kind of note should we add to it? Or should it be the point that you just made, which is being the contributor, and then the, the kind of connection thing comes just a bit more naturally further down the line? Yeah, I definitely go and look at the person's profile and see if they're active. In other words, are they posting stuff, uh, posts or articles? If they are, Brilliant, because you've got an ready-made opportunity to go and read that content and try to contribute something helpful, supportive, authoritative, and, and, and all of that stuff that I've already talked about. Um, that, that gets you onto their radar. And then if you then follow up with a, with a connection request maybe a week or two later, they'll hopefully they'll remember your name and they're much more likely to say yes. Um, if they're not active, then I would just go and glean as much information as you can from their LinkedIn profile and from their website and from anything else you can find about them. Maybe they're mentioned in an article somewhere else. Just learn what you can about them and then try to tailor something that would appeal to them to show that you've done some research on who they are. You know, so I, I always, for example, I look at LinkedIn profile and I'll scroll right to the bottom. This is one of the first things I do and see, oh, look, they speak Spanish. So I will... I can just go and use Google Translate and I can just say hello or thank you or something in that language that they speak just to show that I've paid attention to the fact that they, they speak another language. Or maybe I, they've listed what football team they support or, or just anything to show that you've read their profile. So, for example, on my profile, I've, I've, I've put a little conversation hook in there. I put a secret word on my about statement, which means that if you mention that word, in, in your invitation to me, I know that you've read my profile. Now, only 5% of my invitations include that secret word. So either people aren't reading the about statement or maybe they're just a bit too lazy to include it. But I know that the people who do include it, they've done at least some kind of background looking at, and, I, and I'm, more into, I'm more inclined to want to deal with those people. So, so just find out more about who, who the person you're targeting is. Also, Keep in mind that maybe a stepping stone approach would work best. So you've got a really high value target, right? And you think he or she probably doesn't know me from Adam. They're not creating much stuff. How am I going to get their attention? 
Well, one way of doing it is seeing who they're connected to and making connections with those people. Because if you're that, if you're the linchpin person and seven of the people in your network connect with me, then when I connect with you, maybe you have heard my name. Maybe someone's mentioned me in conversation. Maybe you can see also a connection of Bill, Barry and Betty. And you think, oh, right, well, he knows those people. So, OK, it's a trust signal. So mm -hmm. so rather than jumping, you know, shooting for the moon, <laughs> you, you might want to just make connections with other people who know that person of influence. And then that will just make it, uh, you know, just reduce the friction to making a proper connection with them. So there's a couple of different ways you can play it, but as much as possible, remove the sales, try to help them first. So if they've got content, interact with it, and then just do your research on them because people love it when people take an interest in them. And, and you can show that in a personalized invitation if, if you're smart. The power of social media listening. Um, we've When we look at our own profile, uh, one question that's been asked in the Freelance Heroes community is, what are the no-brainers when it comes to updating your LinkedIn profile? Uh, the no-brainers, I think that the two most important things to get right are your headline and the first two and a half lines of your about statement. The headline is the only piece of text that follows you all around LinkedIn other than your name, which you're probably not going to change. Uh, and so, and specifically, the first 40 characters of your headline are super important because on mobile, that's all that's displayed when you look at someone's post or their comments. You'll see the first 40 characters. So so if, you're, if your headline starts with helping busy business owners to dot, 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 well, well, well everyone's doing that. So that, that you're not telling me anything. I'm not going to click through to you because I, I have no, no idea what you're doing. Um, so the first 40 characters is really the what I call the content DNA statement. It's got to pose what you're offering, your product or service, in an with an interesting spin to get people to be intrigued enough to look at the rest and maybe research your profile. So that headline, especially the opening bits, are really important. Um, and the other bit is your about statement. So the first two and a half lines approximately will be visible when someone loads your profile and then there's a see more link and if you want people to actually learn about you you want to encourage clicks of that see more link and you're only going to do that if you're really clear in those first two and a half lines what you do who you're for and, and maybe you include a, a method of contact so that if people can't be bothered scrolling the rest maybe they've just got an email address and they can go right we can contact this guy offline um, just just enough to hook them in, make sure that they're clear that what you do and, and whether they're actually right for you. Uh, and then all good things follow from that. So those are the two things, the headline and the, the opening of the about statement are really super valuable. If you can optimize those, you'll get more people getting in touch with you and, and ultimately more conversations and ultimately more business. Uh, is it important to include personality from the off if yeah. you can? Absolutely. Every, everywhere you can. If you look at all the people who are doing well on LinkedIn, actually getting business results, they're, 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 they're unapologetically them. They're, they're, they're doing things to differentiate themselves and, and, and they're happy to talk with their true bold voice. So, so, so they are doing something interesting and different. I mean, if I just if my imagine my headline was just B2B copywriter. Right. OK, so it's clear but doesn't sell any personality. I, I might as well just be in a price race with all of the other B2B copywriters out there. 
but but I, I I do things that start conversations that that are memorable that have conversation hooks built into them that are a little bit different. So I call myself relentlessly helpful, which is a, a massive promise, right? And I try my best to live up to that as much as I can. But it's a it's kind of bold opening statement, um, and and so rather than being boring and middle of the road, which is actually a really risky strategy these days because you'll just get forgotten and overlooked. You need to dial into what it is that makes you special, what makes you different, what makes what is true for you every single time you turn up and put that into your headline, your about statement, all of your content, all of the way you run your business. Uh, and if you can do that, then people will uh, over time start noticing you, then remembering you. And ultimately, they will prefer you when it comes time to sign in the checks. Uh, and, and actually yours, um, I'm sure people will look this up in their droves, but it is, I mean, in terms of the, the, the personality, relentlessly helpful technical copywriter for B2B websites, LinkedIn nerd, author of content DNA, and not a douche canoe. Um, so yeah, it, it, you definitely, you know, it, it, there's a, it's amazing how much you can get in there. Uh, you can. LinkedIn headlines have been expanded, so you can now have up to 220 characters. I've written, I've tried to write to the old standard, which is 120 characters, and I think that actually looks nicer, especially on mobile, because on mobile, even even a long sentence can look like a wall of text. So mm. just because you can put 220 characters into your LinkedIn headline doesn't mean you ought to. Uh, so to be as concise as you can, I would say. But the, the, the last bit of the headline, what you said is not a douche canoe. That's what I call my bravery badge or, you know, the intrigue part of my headline. That's a conversation starter because people will maybe say, I found that funny. What does that mean? And that gives me a chance to talk about one of the chapters of my book where I mention this and how I came up with it. it. It's a conversation starter. And a lot of people are too scared or they don't think that maybe they should write something just interesting or different at the end of their headline just to get people thinking. So I, I tell all of my clients, we need we need a bravery badge, something that is different. Um, it, it's a really good way of just personalizing things and, and making it stand out a bit. Um, so uh, I want to go on to the content creation side of things. And one question that Rich has asked here is, what is the best way to go about marketing an event on LinkedIn? Okay. Well, I mean, you can, link, thankfully, LinkedIn has changed its algorithm around uh, sort of May last year, which means that if you do include a link in your post, which used to be, you know, absolutely don't do that, um, they change things so that if you do include a link, you're, you're no longer penalized the same way that you were before. Uh, in fact, there's almost no penalty at all. Um, and so if you've got an event that is advertised on YouTube or on your website, you can link to it uh, direct in the post. LinkedIn has its own events feature, but I personally, I've, I've found that a little bit spammy in the past. You know, people wanting to invite me to events all over the place that mm. I'm not remotely interested in, and we haven't even had a conversation about it first. So I've there is a setting in LinkedIn's preferences that says don't allow people to in, to to invite you to an event, and I've turned that on. So that means that no one can invite me to an event because I had so many spam invitations. So don't expect that necessarily to work if that's the route you want to take. But you can set up a LinkedIn event. And if people do register for it, then you 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 know, you know get a list of the people and then you can go direct message each of them and stuff. So, so there is some value in doing it that way. But given that links are no longer penalized, uh, personally, I'd rather just set something up on Eventbrite or on a website and then just link to that in a short form post 
um, and contact people through direct messages and just let them know. Start a conversation, let them know you're doing something and then supply the link to them. So long as you're not salesy or spammy in doing so, uh, and it's a genuinely useful thing for that person, then, then I think that would be the best way to go. There's a lot of what you said is is applicable across multiple social networks because it's very much about the human side of social media rather than the data side of it. But there are, of course, some algorithmic differences between them. So, for example, you often see a lot of people posting content in sentences with gaps mm -hmm. in between each sentence. Um, I've heard um, uh, of, of people saying that unless you get a, a comment within the first i don't know 20 minutes or hour of a post being uploaded then when you yeah. do it escalates uh the engagement yeah. if you don't it, it hampers it are those true uh, are they beneficial and are there other algorithmic differences for linkedin over others that freelancers should be aware of okay so on the first point about spacing your posts i mean it's a good it's a good idea in general to, to use white space in your content because otherwise especially on mobile things can look like walls of text but in doing so you need to keep in mind where the break points are in your post and by that I mean where does the see more link appear because content is kind of concertinaed on top of each other in the LinkedIn feed you don't see things fully expanded now if you write a text post that break point happens on at line five Every other kind of post, it happens at line three. So when you're writing your content, it's a good idea, if you can, to think about what, where does this content cut off and how can I intrigue people enough to click see more so that they expand the post? And the reason that's important is that LinkedIn measures that and it, it measures how long you spend reading or consuming the content once you've done that. The more time you spend consuming the content, the greater value LinkedIn places on, on the content because it can't do a qualitative measure of what the content is. It's not smart enough, but it uses uh, clicks like that and dwell time as a proxy for value. And the more clicks you get and the more time people sit there and read your stuff or watch your videos or read your documents, the more LinkedIn goes, oh, must be something decent here. Better show this to more people. So algorithmically that there's breakpoints and the encouragement to click on the breakpoints is valuable. Of course, you don't want to trick people. So the rest of the content needs to be in service of whatever you promised in those first three or five lines, because otherwise, you know, it's all just a sham, isn't it? Um, so so keep, keep that in mind. The second point you made about, you know, you, do you need to comment within a certain period? Another change to the LinkedIn algorithm recently is, is to try and remove the, the, the idea of the golden hour, which is that if you post something, you need to get lots of engagement on it in the first hour so that it accelerates the reach of that content. Now, what that meant is that a lot of people set up engagement pods where they said, right, 15 of my you know, colleagues, you're all going to pile in. Everyone's going to like, everyone's going to comment, everyone's going to share. And we've got to do it at 9 a.m. because that's when my post is going live and I'll do the same for you. Um, and that was a way of gaming the algorithm, which is actually against the user agreement. But LinkedIn has now extended that period significantly. Some people say it's a few hours. Other people actually argue that it might be a few days. Uh, and that completely dilutes the value of using an engagement pod. That was one of its great things is, it, is uh, you know, not that I've ever uh, advocated using one, but it was often quite effective. 
But now it doesn't really matter. And posts can stay live in the feed for a long time, more than on any other platform. And often I see stuff that's six days, seven days old referred into my feed. Uh, and it doesn't, so it doesn't really matter the exact moment of when it was posted or how many people commented in that first 20 minutes, an hour, whatever. So, so I wouldn't worry about that too much. I always say that, you know, good content will fly at any time and bad content will, will crash at any time. So don't worry about the time of posting. And I've looked at my own data. I, I do a lot of data analytics stuff with my own content and share what I learn. And for me, my best posts are on Saturdays and Sundays, which goes against all the orthodoxy that, you know, you should post on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, because that's when most people are rotated in their office and LinkedIn is a business platform. So post during the meat of the week, because that's when most people will see your stuff. That doesn't hold true for me. But I only know that because I've been tracking data for the last two and a half years. And I, I, I know for certain that, that that is not true for me. What I tell people is do your own research, you know, try and track your data uh, and see what works for you and then do more of what works if you can. And why, and, and although that there's a number of reasons why that could be different from you and others, why do you think that's the case for you? Well, I, th I think there's just less competition for attention on weekends. You know, people are always having a sneaky look so at others for the same reason. Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I think that the, 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 the same thing ought to hold true, but I can't say for certain that it does. I mean, in some industries, maybe people just really look at LinkedIn only when they're working and and weekend browsing is just not a thing for that type of person, maybe. Right. But but I think increasingly, and of course, the pandemic is, is probably changing things. People are always on their phones. And if they've got the LinkedIn mobile app, they'll have a sneaky look at their feed and, and they might see your stuff. And maybe they've got a bit more time on the weekends and they can leave a comment where whereas maybe they don't have the time for that uh, in the weekdays. And of course, the comments are the, are the best accelerant for visibility of content, much more important than likes, much more important than shares, which is counterintuitive because on Twitter, you get a retweet. That's like fantastic. But on, on LinkedIn, you get a share, which is the, the analog of a retweet. It, it tends to go nowhere. So actually, a comment is much more powerful than a share. So, so that, that's another kind of foible of LinkedIn. So if you can get 100 comments, that's, that's probably much more valuable than getting 100 shares, which is weird. But there you go. And, and sorry, just to get this, so the shares are going um, are going nowhere because someone else is sharing them and you don't get any visibility to those shares. Well, well, you, you do get visibility of the shares, but it, it seems to be rather than an algorithmic issue, it seems to be more of a human psychology issue is that when people see shared content in their LinkedIn feed, they tend not to interact with it any further. And it's that lack of interaction that tells the LinkedIn algorithm, oh, no point sharing that then. And, then, and therefore it doesn't go any further. Whereas if people comment and I see something in my feed that says, Ed Goodman said, blah, blah, blah. I thought, oh, right, let's have a look at that. It's a different experience. Yeah. I, I think it actually would work differently if LinkedIn made one change, which is if they put a counter on the share button, then it would be like a retweet. And that would be valuable, but they don't do that. You can see the number of likes, you see the number of comments, and they hide the number of shares. If you imagine Twitter did that, you couldn't see how many retweets something had had, but you've got the button. Would you press it? Maybe. But if someone's had like 13,000 retweets, it's dead easy to hit that button, isn't it? Because you go, well, it's probably good. 
if, if you don't have any indicator, you might be taking a chance by sharing that because what if they got it all wrong? So, so I think that, that the lack of a counter means that people are a bit more nervous to share as well. So, so there's a couple of things at play there. So uh, I'm um, I, I kind of leading nicely to the question I have, which is around your you know, you've been analysing your usage, other people's usage, what works, what doesn't work for some time, but I want, if I was to give you a magic wand, you're looking over the, the, you're now the head of, you know, kind of LinkedIn at Microsoft, and I'm giving you a magic wand to make an amendment to the platform, what would you do? Um, well, for me, very selfishly, I would just change the way that notifications work, because I get bombed with notifications all the time, right? Some, some days I get like 500, 600 notifications, and I can't wow. cope with them. Right. I just can't cope with that. So I've recently had to just turn them all off because I, I would just my head would explode. Uh, and so what I'd love to do is to be able to say, I don't want to be notified about any likes, but I do want to be notified about comments because I care about comments. But the way they group them is that they put everything together. So if you if you've got that setting on, you, you know about likes and you know about comments. And if you've got someone who goes and likes 30 comments on one of your posts, you're going to get 30 notifications just for that. And you think, oh, what a waste of time. So, so that's one thing I would, I would really definitely like to change. And, and I suppose if I had to name something else, on mobile, when you invite someone to connect, by default, it just sends an invitation without giving you the opportunity to write anything, which is exactly the thing I told you not to do. Earlier. That's because the system is set up against you. It's set up to say, send an invitation. So what I'd like to do is that if you press connect on mobile, it prompts you to send an invitation note as it does on desktop. And the frustrating thing is, and, and LinkedIn never seemed to listen to reason, they tested adding a note on mobile by default, and then they decided not to implement it, which is the for me the most stupid thing. You know, like how are you gonna have more personal connections if you don't get a chance to say hello to people? You know, there used to be this thing where LinkedIn's rule was you mustn't connect with people you don't know, which is which is stupid because this is meant to be a networking platform. If you just talk to the people you already know, you will never meet anyone new. <laughs> it's the most stupid, you know, idea in networking in history, I think. But, so they've got rid of that edict, thankfully. Um, and in which case, if you are going to connect with someone, you, you must, I think, introduce yourself in, in some way. Otherwise, like I said, uh, yeah, it's like putting your business card in people's hands. So I think they could make a systemic change that would mean there was more fruitful conversation rather than just connect, 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 which is what a lot of people do. And they turn it into a numbers game. And I think that's totally the wrong approach to, to building a, a meaningful network. Uh, what uh, is the value, if any, for freelancers upgrading to a business premium account? Well, I must admit that I've never used LinkedIn Premium. I mean, I know I know kind of the, the the way it works. It gives you some extra features such as you can see who's looked at your profile in detail over the last 90 days. So if, if you're the kind of person who wants to go back and research who's been looking at you so that you can have a, a starting point to say, well, I know that you looked at my profile. So now I'm going to go and try and connect with you and maybe sell you something. You could use it for that. Um, you can do more sort of deep searches of the LinkedIn network if you've got a premium account, which you can't do on a free account, although you can do plenty with a free search. So and that's all I use. Um, so there's that. And you can do things like you can send emails, uh, you can send they're called in mails. So in other words, you can message anyone, even if you're not connected with them. 
and and so if you've got an outbound strategy then then that i, I guess that that's valuable um but i don't have an out, outbound strategy because people now come to me so I don't, I don't need to worry about searching for people i don't need to worry about messaging people i'm not connected with i don't need to worry about um looking at who's looked at my profile because if someone's looked at my profile and is interested in me they're going to get in touch and that's mm. cool i don't need to go out to them but that's because i've spent four years building up my presence organically without paying a penny to LinkedIn. And and a lot of people just want to shortcut it by going and doing outbound outreach, you know, cold, cold emails, that, that, that sort of thing. And I, I don't really advocate that. Um, last, actually, no, this is to settle a debate that I have with a friend, which is around images um, and whether mm -hmm. you should or shouldn't include them. Now, my belief is that I don't feel, I feel posts mm -hmm. with images. I tend to skip through them more than I do posts without images. Yeah. Well, I do the opposite on Twitter for some strange yeah. reason, but that's yeah. me. Um, yeah. And his argument is that, well, actually, if you put images, it helps to stand out amongst all the text in your LinkedIn newsfeed. Can you settle this debate for us? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's, there's there's some branding value in having an image so long as it's not a stock image, because that doesn't that doesn't differentiate you from anyone. Right. Um, <laughs> But in, in all of the data I've analyzed over the last two and a half years, as a category, image posts perform the worst of, of all the types. So text posts perform far better than image posts, about two and a half times better in my experience. Uh, and I think part of the reason is because LinkedIn can fit in more text posts in the same vertical space as they can image posts, because text posts concertina down. And mm -hmm. if you think about it, that means that they're giving you more lottery tickets where you just find that one thing that really appeals to you and you sit there and stay on the platform. Because LinkedIn's all about wanting to keep you on the platform so that they can show you more ads and so that they can upsell you to premium and sales navigator and so forth. So I think the fact that they can show you more text content than image content, which is a bit fatter in the feed, means that they want to promote that text content more. And also the, the psychology thing is if someone's got a I'm at work, you know, mindset, they might be more comfortable interacting with text only than they are with interacting with visual content when someone's looking over their shoulder saying, oh, I'm messing around on messing around on LinkedIn with all those images and videos again. You know, so maybe there's a, just a marginal difference between what people are feel more comfortable interacting with and it feels more professional to interact with a text post. And, and maybe those are the reasons why text posts do always tend to outperform uh, image posts. Having said that, I would always recommend that people try all of the content types. Because if if you just did text posts because they work better than image posts, then I think there'd be a fall off in interest because it just gets boring. So do text posts, do image posts, do polls, do videos, do document posts especially. Those are the most popular type for me where you can upload a pdf a powerpoint a word document do all of them so that you give people a mix because some people like text other people like images some people like videos if you can if you can give people a fair spread i think that's a good way of just just being generally appealing and, and not being too boring well um certainly um content DNA is uh, not too boring or even in the slightest bit. Uh, you've packed through this call with so much, but there's so much more to get about LinkedIn and about applying the content DNA approach to everything we do online. Um, so I'll put a link 
to the book in the show notes. Uh, so I highly recommend that you you go and buy that. Uh, we'll also put the link to your LinkedIn page and various places as well. But audibly, um, what's the one place you would like people to go to? I guess apart from your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> um, yeah. If they were if, to if say, you, uh, look up, if you can spell my surname correctly, then you'll find me on the web. Very right, I've, got, I've got. <laughs> I've got such a, an unusual surname. But yeah, if you if you look up Esperian and go to my website, there is a section in there called the LinkedIn Learner Lounge, which is full of free tips. Uh, and I also do things like consultations and I've got a LinkedIn course. But honestly, you can get a lot of free value by looking at the LinkedIn Learner Lounge. And it's all the stuff that I've learned over the last four years, which I try to put out uh, as often as I can, as helpfully as I can. And I know that it's helped thousands of people. So do please take a look at that. You don't need to sign up for anything or navigate any pop-ups or any of that rubbish. You can just get a load of free learning, basically. So so go and look that up. Brilliant. Uh, Content DNA is available now. I should add, by the way, I, I do another podcast just for fun called business at bedtime where i read snippets of books and content dna was one of them and i was guilty of spelling your name wrong in that okay. as well so i apologize okay. for that. That's okay. it's easily done but i am not a credit reference uh, checking agency experience uh, <laughs> and i'm not uh, a headache relief tablet aspirin which is what i'm often called that as well Oh, John, it's been uh, uh, it's been uh, lovely to meet you, and it's been so informative. I am genuinely going to end this call, sort out some homeschooling, and then um, and go and, and update my LinkedIn profile. But uh, for now, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me, Ed. Cheers. Okay, I lied. Uh, I'm going to record this outro, and then I'm going to uh, tidy up my LinkedIn profile. So, which bits of John's words stood out for you? What are you doing? to change your LinkedIn profile? What's your most successful LinkedIn content? What tips work for you that could work for other freelancers too? Email me podcast at freelance-heroes.com uh, or use the hashtag freelance heroes across social media too uh, to connect with other freelancers. Uh, join us next week uh, for more from the Freelance Heroes podcast. We're getting legal next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now.